0: to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Boy, it is always nice to be coming your way, bringing you a new conversation. And this conversation uh, is, well, you might call it part three. Our guest is a returning guest. Always love to have uh, uh, input from our guests who um, have been with us before to talk about, well, in this case, her music. And uh, the music that she is featuring these days, uh, we want to talk about it. We're going to talk about a song and an album, uh, One Earth. Our guest is returning to us, Kalyani. She is a visionary New Age recording artist. Uh, Again, the single is One Earth. Uh, There is a music video uh, lending her... uh, Lending her captivating voice is a call for human connection and oneness to heal the earth. Kalyani, thank you so much for being back with us again today.
1: My pleasure, Richard. It's always good to be with you.
0: So this is your latest work, One Earth. Uh, You've got lots of other uh, audio and video up on, uh, I'm sure, YouTube and many other places. Uh, For those who are uh, learning about you for the first time, let's do a little uh, little catch-up, so to speak, and tell us how this this music career, if you will, or vocation, started for you, and did it start in this particular, shall we call it, genre or lane (laughs) of, of metaphysics, of spirituality, of connectedness, of oneness, of being uh awakening oneself and one's soul mind body spirit uh to the realities that are and not to the realities that are not
1: yes wow you you really know how to <laughs> <laughs> um well it it is a very um Definitely, a yes," And a yes, it began that way, and it was inspired by that. You know, I always say my inspiration comes from a connection uh, with a sense of the mystery, right? something that is not tangible, but you can feel. and um, um, uh, what started it is a very beautiful story, and um, it has to do with an awakening to the divine within i was meditating a lot i was doing a lot of uh, um in work you know i was in my um i had just finished my program in spiritual psychology my master's and um i was serving at srf lake shrine doing um spending some time there just meditating in the gardens and so um i one day felt this you know desire to to do a film um because i was i had a a production company called stargate alliance i still do it's a conscious media company and i i had worked on a peace project and in a documentary called secrets of love which is um using uh, understanding uh, loving relationships as a catalyst for evolution and uh, doing one of my meditations I was I received that I was supposed to create this movie about the sacred feminine and um, and I know that Bill and I had trouble licensing music how difficult it is to license music and In another meditation, it said, you're going to create the music. And I said, this is a voice in my head. I don't know anything about music. I was not musically trained. It was pretty late in my life. I, you know, in my 40s. And I was like, this is not, I never dreamt to be a singer. I didn't want to sing. I still, I feel like I am um, a reluctant singer.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Uh, But it's beyond singing. To me, it's a message. It's planting a seed. It's how the universe invited me to speak about what I couldn't talk about because there were no words. So I, I had a lot of difficulty expressing what I was feeling. It was this beautiful awakening of the heart and a fire burning, wanting to say what I couldn't find words to say. And, you know, I remember at the time listening a lot to Lisa Gerard. I, I say she's like my muse. Lisa Gerard, I don't know if you know her work. She does a lot, a lot of music for film. Um, she used to be a lead singer, one of the singers that Dad can dance many, many years back. Um, and then she went solo and created many, many um, soundtracks and albums with different musicians. But she, you know her music has this haunting, spiritual quality, and I thought, well, if I if I could pick a soundtrack to go with a film I have in mind to make about sacred feminine, it would be Lisa Gerard's, You know, mm-hmm. like Immortal Memory. I think it's a mor- Immortal Memory, one of my favorite CDs by her. And um, and um, and then in the meditation you know, it it continued to come to me and I said, well, let me just flirt with the idea. If I were to create anything, you know, what instruments would I want in it? What kind of feeling tone?" And shortly after that, I met my composer and I had a meeting with him and I explained to him the best way I could. And I felt like quite nervous because I said, how can I tell him I want to create music? If I have no history (laughs) of singing or playing an instrument. I mean, I know how to play the Native American flute a little bit. I know how to play a little bit of drums, but not classically trained, you know. So, um, and he said, sure, let's do that. And I said, you know, it's for for a film I want to create. So I want to start with soundtrack. (laughs) Mm. Because this, you know, in a film, you know, I have friends who work in the industry and I've seen them editing film and mixing for TV shows and everything. And when they turn off the sound, the whole entire soul of the film is gone. It, there's no life. A film without sound, noises, and you know, little drones even in the background or piano or something – if you pay attention, consciously watching a film or a documentary, doesn't matter what it is, pay attention, there's always some kind of music in the background. It's the soul, it's the spirit, it moves you. It's what moves you, right? The crescendo, the momentos, the And so I said, you know, let's start with that, because without that, this film will never be what I want it to be. And by the end of three-hour session, you know, I said to him, can we um do you mind that i sit with you while you compose because i have an idea of what i want I said no problem you know and he was very confident riz is extremely talented and very confident and i sat there with him and i had given him four different tracks of songs that you know he said give me a sample of something you like you know and i gave him three or four tracks i can't even remember now um but he just started playing and I said oh I like this I like that uh not so much uh can you add strings can you you know can you go faster can you go slower how about drums you know and it was like this interesting I don't play but I could hear it in my head and at the end of three and a half hours this is about Namu's invocation which you interviewed me for it was the first release mm-hmm. with that beautiful music video as well that yeah the imagery was so powerful and uh he said to me He played it from beginning to end. He said, do you hear what I hear? And I said, yeah. He said, I've always wanted to create something like this. This is extraordinary. What Mm. are you going to do with it? And I said, well, I'm going to take it home and I'm going to vocalize into it. I'll try to sing it. She said, did you ever sing? I said, in the shower, I did some karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, well, if you don't, if you can't figure it out and you can't do it, I, I have a lot of singers who would love to sing to this. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to give it a shot, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that was it. One day I'm sitting with it. I used to fall asleep listening, and the, the richness of the instrumentals on a music occasion is so extraordinary, so orchestral. I, I thought to myself, how can I ever sing to this? It's so full. There's no room, you know? And I had zero training. So, um, but this fire burning on my chest and the beauty of what I was hearing and everything moved me. And in one sitting, I sang the song from beginning to end to my cell phone, sitting on my, on my den and, uh, playing it on, on the, I was putting it on repeat and I was listening and listening and listening. And I just started to vocalize and, uh these tones just came out of me. I actually have the facsimile recording. I think I still have it on my phone. And of course I had to do a little bit of adjustment in the middle. There was a note that was a little too low or too high, but basically came out of my mouth in one shot. And it was astounding to me. And um, when I prepared, you know, I was completely intimidated by the whole entire experience. And when I had to return to the, studio to record I was I was like praying the whole time and doing breathing and going like okay this is this is it I am going to do this for you mother you know Mm -hmm. because I was I was was singing for the sacred feminine you know and uh, I felt that I had this beautiful divine presence with me that was carrying me through and creating the opportunity for me it's as if the doors just opened. I met the right people, everybody around me appeared to support this. It's just, you know, I get chills when I talk about it because it was it was meant to be in a, in a way, you know, mm-hmm. and I resisted for a while. Yeah. But um, it, eventually it took over and became bigger than the film. I never went back to the film. <laughs> Because the song ended up in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a theatrical release of a film as well. And, and then came Tears for Nana and yeah. And this is, this is different though. I'm singing in English and I'm singing with comprehensible language, but <laughs> it, it was worth the cause, you know, cause it was very special, very special.
0: Well, there are times when I question whether or not English is a comprehensible language. Uh, what, what I, <laughs> what no, I, can't I find, agree
1: more. what's that? I can't agree more.
0: Yeah, because uh, because we, though we speak the same language, there are so many who are unable to understand where another person is coming from. Now, I know that that's dealing with. Uh, other issues granted, but still, um it got it actually goes back to <laughs> it goes back to the days <clears throat> of Bill Clinton uh, asking the oh, question, yeah. what is is? <laughs> I'm just going, what are you? And then of course, now today we've got uh people who they actually are intentionally, uh, working to create as much confusion as is possible. And um, I've been talking about this, conver- this kind of conversation for quite some time, and we are going to continue doing that uh, as we continue here on. Tell me your story.
3: And the recognition is we're all part of the system. We're all one Yeah, look at that picture over there. There's the breath coming up. Wow. Yeah, I'll get this. Okay. One world, one heart, one great big family. It's done.
0: Richard Dugan, your host. And my very special guest here on the program today is visionary new age recording artist, Kalyani. And you're going to be hearing music from her. And you'll be seeing, if you're watching the YouTube video, you'll be seeing uh, videos of those songs uh, throughout this program, throughout this conversation. Uh, the one earth song, the release one earth is Brazilian born, Uh, New Age recording artist uh, uh, Kalyani's latest soulful, inspiring single and music video released with more than 4.5 million views thus far. Uh, Kalyani's YouTube channel debuts her timely uh, new music video, uh, celebrating the earth, inspiring hope and embracing the beauty of human connection. I want to ask you, I actually do want to go into that realm that I just kind of brought up briefly of of communication and understanding and listening, but I'll go there later. So I want to ask you about this aspect uh, that we hear quite often. Uh, I am certainly one of those who is very interested in doing all that I can to make sure that the role that I play on this planet in regarding our environment is one of caretaker, of steward, that I do what I can in my little corner of the planet uh, and, and hopefully be an example in that regard, not depending upon anybody else to do the same. It isn't about that. It's not about, well, I'll do it if you do it. It's, I will do it. I am doing it, period. Mm -hmm. And I've heard this, the term that we need to help to, quote unquote, heal the earth. But I've also heard the terminology, the earth does not need our help to heal. She will do just fine on her own. At least from the, the the global earth big blue marble standpoint, it doesn't mean that I won't continue to do my part, okay uh w- what are your thoughts in that regard? Uh, does the earth really need our help um, or should we just say we know she doesn't need our help that doesn't mean we shouldn't clean up our home?
1: Absolutely, um, I think what the Earth most needs is for us to stop damaging her, and in that sense, yeah, w- w- she wouldn't need any more help. But to to think that we are not symbiotically connected, like an orchid depends on a tree to go to grow, you, you know, um, we're we're all interlinked, and um, I do think we have. We we've trashed it so much that, yeah, we do need to clean up. It's We're not helping the earth. We're helping ourselves because you don't want to bathe in a river full of shoes and being hit in the head by plastic bags and having animals suffocated and, you know, and not being able to breathe the air. We're not saving the planet. We're saving ourselves because without this planet, we don't exist or we're not healthy in it. We're not thriving. So, It's beyond helping the planets, helping ourselves through cleaning up our mess, right? That's another way to look at it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. We made the mess. Let's clean it up. I mean, what's that phrase uh, from, especially from uh, here in the States, kindergarten, where you're supposed to have learned that when you are through with your toys, you put them away. Whether that be in a box or on a shelf or in a drawer, you put them away. It's just that simple. It's one of the, the bugaboos for me with computers, for example. I you I don't know how, how tech savvy you are in this regard or knowledgeable, but um, when you go to open an application or a program...
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The When you click on that icon that is connected to the execution file in in terms of executing the opening of that program, it knows where to go to get all of the parts to build the program so that you can then write your novel, record your music, whatever the case may be. Even make a phone call for that matter. However, what I don't understand is why... When you close the program, and remember, this is it's copying the data from its original location to, for example, memory. Mm-hmm. It doesn't know how to put the stuff back. And so you have to run a program called defrag or defragmentation mm-hmm. because you have all these fragments of programs all over the place. And unless you run it every so often, yeah, or, or you shut the computer down and then start it up again. Your computer starts to slow down. Your your phone starts to slow down. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sitting here going, why didn't the, the developers <laughs> of the computer incorporate that program in there?
1: Every time you shut the computer down, everything closes.
0: Well, when you close a program, not when you shut the computer down, when you close the program, it yeah. closes the program but there are still fragments of the files that were needed to run it that are still sitting there on your hard drive, uh, the working space, the desktop working space, if you will. Okay. See, See, I'm not as savvy. And, and yet, and yet there, there we are. I mean, what you're talking about is we just need to clean up our home. Well, how hard is that really? I mean, I even challenge people uh, who are, you know, very much opposed to this whole, the the conversations around climate change, Mm. you know, and, and I say, okay, all right, well, let's, uh, let's take the science out of it. I don't care about the science. Forget about the science. There is no science. (laughs) I say, don't you think we should clean up our home? And then I go on from there and I say, okay. So um, every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, maybe you, your family. And I know it was in my case with my family when I was growing up as a kid, We would uh, sometimes be given tasks that was on some board, or we'd pick tasks out of a hat or something. And those were the things, whether it was pulling weeds, mowing the lawn, picking up the laundry, uh, doing the dishes, if there were any, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if it doesn't matter that we clean up our home, why bother cleaning up your living space if it doesn't matter?
1: You know, I did a post on Facebook when I was about to do the launch and it was exactly what I said word by word. I said, I know that the anti-climate change trolls are going to attack me like they did last year when mm-hmm. I first announced that I was working on a song and I put it on my public page on the Kaliani music page. I was attacked. People were laughing and I was like, wow. So when I came out uh, this time, I said, you know, you trolls can do your thing. It doesn't affect because, you know, if you actually believe that for political, the earth is up for political grabs, that's like a very, you know, sad situation. If you believe you don't need to take the trash out and you're going to make your house a horde hell, With bags and trash everywhere, (laughs) smelling that shit. I'm sorry. And that you're going to, that's what you want for your living space. Then go ahead, do that inside your house. Now, in the community house, which is this planet, Mm -hmm. a lot of people want to breathe clean air and have beautiful, clean waters and raise consciousness about protecting. The environment by
2: mm-hmm.
1: doing whatever we can to stop damaging. It. I don't go around hammering my walls or throwing, you know, trash on my table. Right. I don't leave plastic bags around my, you know, the aquariums. Or I mean, it's just senseless to yeah. start that dialogue. I just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: I think the other element too is the the encouraging. I'm, politics. I'm sorry
1: politics
0: right in the end it, it is politics in the end you're right one other element of it too is uh, the resistance to changing for example now i'm uh, we're not gonna get into the weeds on this one but i'll just use this as an example the argument over uh, getting off of fossil fuels and of course, talking about solar and wind, and and I've, I'm I'm even familiar, of course, with wave energy. They'll put these devices down under the water, and the movement of the ocean will generate, you know, uh, uh, it will generate power. Uh, hydroelectric, where you're using uh, moving water going down waterfalls or through dams. Um, even uh, there's another. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but see, it's basically using the heat from the earth, the steam coming up, like at uh, like at um, Yosemite or um, a Yellowstone, for example, uh, where you'd put a you know you'd put a cover over it uh, that the steam would go into a generator, turn a turbine, and generate electricity, and mm-hmm. so on and so on. Whatever the innovations are. And, you know, and of course, uh, you know, you keep I keep hearing all of the arguments against doing that because so many things nowadays are made from, quote unquote, petroleum products. Well, that may be true today, but I'm also seeing articles um, and I I watch a lot of uh, these little YouTube shorts that show how manufacturers are trying to create uh, different uh, things that we use every day from uh, some of the land based primarily uh materials that sometimes you just find right there on the surface of the earth, like the various types of plants I was just watching one where uh there's um a banana plant the banana plant that where you grow bananas right well it, you can only apparently I didn't know this apparently you can only grow a bu- one bunch one crop off of one tree then you got to kind of yes it, gotta, and start over yes. well what do you do with the tree? I was-
2: what yeah.
0: Do you do? yeah. so you know what do you do with the tree well guess what they found a way to, to process it mm-hmm. and use it to make clothing no okay. it's not going to smell like bananas <laughs> but it's part of the textile uh, industry that was so prevalent back in the 17 and 18 1800s you mm-hmm. know and so forth so it's like We went from walking to riding animals, horses in particular, a horse and buggy. Then we went to the automobile. Well, there has to be another evolutionary step somewhere. You know, if we could bilocate, I mean, I read about bilocation in autobiography of a yogi. I'm still working on it, trying to figure out how I can go to Ireland free, you know.
1: (laughs) Um. By the way, I just read on on the blurb you wrote for your channel that it's your dream to live in Ireland. How close are you to it?
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: I would love Uh, to visit. I'm coming soon, actually. uh,
0: Well, I'm in Santa Barbara right now. Uh, It's been, quite honestly, uh, 20 years since uh, I went to Ireland with my wife the first time. And it's been 19 years since I went the second time. I'm still Mm. waiting for the third time Mm. Um, right now, you know, there, we have challenges here that I, I, that, you know, that we need to, to deal with, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the opportunity wouldn't arise. I would love that. Uh, But uh, I'm, I'm patient. I trust the universe. I've, in other words, I've put it out there. Yeah, I've said it a few times on this program, but I've put it out to the universe and now it's like, okay, whenever you're ready, you know, I, I'm ready to go. OK, I will, uh, you know, you make a way for our entire family, which is my wife and I and our animals to move to Ireland. And we're there, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I'll take a two week trip there, too. And by the way, I won't take any less than two weeks uh, because, you know, you, you just get there after 15 hours of flying, you know, and it takes a day or two to kind of acclimate and uh, off you go. But anyway. The the music that you create. And you are, you are Brazilian by, by, by birth, correct?
1: That's correct. Yeah. But I'm sort of first generation Brazil. Um, My whole family is from Portugal, actually. My both sides of my family, mother and father, my mother is actually Portuguese herself. Um, My father is not Portuguese, but my mother Mm -hmm. was born in Portugal. And my grandpa moved to Brazil when she was about 13, 12 Mm. And then so, I so, at 20, my kitty's been wanting to participate. I
0: oh, please. We have had uh, animals okay. walk through, so it's absolutely appropriate. She uh, was
1: biting the cord for the computer. I was afraid the computer was going to fall, so I had to. <laughs> <laughs> She's very active right now. What's her name? Tazzy. Tazzy? Tazzy. Say hi, Tazzy.
0: Hi, Tazzy. Oh, my uh. Tazzy looks an awful lot like our mancoon Merlin. She's a
1: manco- Every tabby has a little mancoon in them.
0: Yeah. Oh, she's beautiful. She's beautiful. <laughs> Animals are so important. That we'll get into that as well here uh, on the program as uh, as we continue sure here. Is, yeah, that's right. As we continue here on "Tell Me Your Story." Richard Dugan, your host, along with uh, our very special guest. She's a Brazilian uh, singer, a songwriter, visionary, metaphysician, if you will, uh, Kalyani, uh and uh, spiritual inspired, uh, spiritually inspired visionary. She's a producer, an artist, and a founder of Stargate Alliance Films and Media, and uh, also uh, releasing her very her latest song, both video and uh, audio one earth and again we will be featuring both audio and video of the work that she is doing here on the program so you stay uh, stay with us here on the program let's talk a little bit about uh dovetail off of the whole environmental thing in regards to change now um, john denver in one of his songs uh he says um Changes somehow frighten me. Still, I have to smile. It turns me on to think of growing old and, um, and so forth. And I sometimes wonder myself what it would have been like to have raised a family, you know, mm-hmm. or gone sailing around the world and so forth and so on. But at the same time, I also recognize, maybe as you do, that you found your life's purpose. Is that accurate for you that you found it, and you do travel about?
1: Yes, it is true. this is my life's purpose, and there's something profound to live in purpose, and you know that because you you also have that sense with what you've created. I bet, but um yeah, it is it's definitely, and I do travel about um um I went to Europe. Um, in 2021, I went to Garabandal, Spain, to visit the area of the miracles. There were the miracle of Garabandal. I went to Fatima, Portugal, and uh, it was amazing. I, I, I've in 2016, I came across footage of those children and the miracle of Fatima and the miracle of Garabandal. Actually, Garabandal, there is actual footage. Fatima was so long ago, it was 1917. Yeah. Um, And Garabondo was later. uh, The last apparition was actually on my birthday in 1965. I am that old, trust me.
0: Now tell me, first of all, where it is? Where is it?
1: It's um, Garabondo, Spain. It's like northeast Spain. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm trying to remember the region. sun tender something like it's called sun tender Mm -hmm. so it's very up north in the mountains and uh, east of so what i did is i left porto portugal on a car and i went to santiago de compostela directly there Uh, actually that was a jubilee year i get in chills now and they say if you walk into the cathedral on a jubilee or all your sins are forgiven i had no idea i just happened to be there (laughs) and i had not planned i said just when we're about to take like a turn to go east i said in two hours i can be in compostela let me go to compostela so i took the car there and walked through the whole place and then took the car on the coast to beautiful coastline on northern spain with the ocean there And went to Garabondal. And Garabondal is... I was feeling called since 2016 to visit and know uh, that space. There's a lot of um, um, predictions that were made about the future by those three little girls. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or is it four? (laughs) And some of them are still alive. They're in their 70s. They say there will be an incredible miracle happening there and a transformation for the planet and one of them conchita the main one who got the most visions and apparitions and they they were levitating they were walking backwards in the dark up the hill over rocks and never fell and they would walk like a system they would be holding arms with each other and you know they would they would have people kiss the cross and that were behind them and their whole bodies would turn in a way that a normal human. And if, if somebody tried to lift them, nobody could lift them off the ground. Even two men mm. could not move them and they would fall on their knees in ecstasy. You know, their heads would fall back and they would be tears would be coming down their eyes. And, and when they got up, their knees were completely intact. We we're talking like a rocky, cause I was there. Mm-hmm. I walked to the path. I walked to the, so the grove of pines where, They say Mother Mary appeared to them. So, yeah, I love doing pilgrimages, spiritual pilgrimages, and I want to continue to do them. Now I am about to receive that green light from the universe. As you're,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I was watching a uh, a program where this gentleman was talking about uh, primarily coming from an agnostic perspective uh, about specifically christianity but it applies to what you're talking about in terms of miracles and and he was talking about this how there are those who will believe who will just accept out of hand because it's written in some book that these certain events happen these certain miracles took place but when it comes to some of the other belief systems i refer to them as philosophies Uh, they say, no, that's absolutely crazy. That's nuts that that's, you know, that that's, uh, you know, no, there is no spaceship that's coming for us. No, uh, uh, you know, we're not going to live in a celestial heaven and we have to be sealed and so on and so forth. And these are terms that most people who know of these other philosophies know what it is and so on and so forth. And yet they will accept a lot of the unusual events that are written in this, this other book that has an old and a new uh, uh, covenant. And, and I just, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, see, I worked for a Christian station for 15 years. And I got to the place where I said, who am I to pass judgment on your experience? It's your experience that has made you who you are today. And if I try to undermine that experience, then I am undermining you. I am doing damage, so to speak, to your fate, whatever it may be. So talk to us in that regard uh from your experience. Were you raised uh, uh within the, 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 the uh within Catholicism? Yes and
1: no. Because you know my mother was born basically almost inside a church in Portugal, and mm-hmm. she was confessing almost every single day and until she moved to Brazil when she was twelve and when she um and she took the uh, communion often because my grandfather was a nobleman, and you know even though Republic had established itself in Portugal um, he lived in the solarium home that he inherited from his parents and um, they still treated him like royalty and so the clergy in those days they in the past when there was a monarchy the clergy and the monarchy were very close they worked together and there was a lot of respect you know that existed between those so the priests would come to my mom's home on Sundays and they would have a feast with my, my 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 grandmother still cooked on wood stove you know and she had people helping her of course she had nine children my mother was the ninth and um and there was banquets every sunday and the, a bod they call a bod you know the, the the priest would come or the priests and the priest's assistants whatever call them and they would dine or have a lunch that will last five hours. My mother used to say they would sit at the table and there was red wine, you know, because he made his own red wine. The land was so big. He created his own olive oil and everybody that shared the land that worked for him had free access to the food and they could take the wine, they could take the flour, they could take the grains and go to the mill. Everything was very rudimentary. There's no, you know, my mother was born in 43, so there was no light. It's a beautiful story. I went there and I visited it for the first time in 2020, December, November 21. And it was fascinating. I am so sad that I never got to go earlier and uh, get to know my mom's history and story while she was still alive my mom passed away a month after i returned it was Mm. it was terrible and i was planning to take her there uh in spring of this this year uh, of 2020 we had made plans and i said i'll come and i'll bring you again because i fell in love with portugal anyway but not to get too long of a story when she was 23 she was married for four years she read a book about the holy inquisition and she was so devastated by what the Catholic Church did. And she had a deep relationship with Jesus and Mary. And um, she said, and she taught us prayer from the crib. I think my first memory, conscious memory of self, is when I was in my crib and she's teaching my sister, my older sister, to do the sign of the cross, the Mm -hmm. long one, you know, like that, and then like this. And I couldn't even talk, but I was so eager to learn that and I couldn't understand why she spent this time with my sister that was so special not with me and I started crying I grabbed her hand and I smeared it on my face she started laughing so she taught me to do she had to teach me to do the sign of the cross when I was like one (laughs) because I was complaining (laughs) or one and a half I don't know but so she taught us all kinds of prayers I did like four or five prayers every night before going to bed and she sat by our bedside making sure we prayed until we were like, you know, preteens or something. And then she let it, you know, and I never lost it. I prayed all my life, but never really, she never took us to church. She didn't believe in the institution anymore. Mm. She believed in the power of prayer. She believed in the power that is, you know, yeah. but not in how to access it, how important it is to have a pure heart and mean your prayers. But, um, And so I grew up in a sense, you know, Catholic and praying. And uh, I think a part of my awakening is deeply connected to the power of prayer because there's another long story I can tell you, but (laughs) I don't know if I could go there now um, about how this whole awakening to what I do today really began in 2003 at the you know, um, the end of my marriage when um, I was going through so much and I I felt so alone and I I had forgotten my prayers because I, I was taking care of my kids and my, my husband at the time was um, agnostic, you know. He, he called mm-hmm. himself an atheist, but I know he wasn't. He ended up reading books about God and started going to... The synagogue because he was half Jewish, half Christian. His mother was Christian Catholic and his father was Jewish German. And um, he was traumatized by that. There's many sad stories when he was growing up um, of them trying to attack their father. And then, yeah, it was just Mm. in Brazil when he escaped Kristallnacht from Germany. Ah, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that that time, I started doing this prayer that I had heard many years ago when I was a kid. I only heard it twice, and it was none of the prayers I knew. It's called Caritas, de Caritas. This is a very long prayer. I had only heard it once or twice, but I thought that is the prayer I want to do. I wanted to come back to who I was. I wanted to reconnect to my sense of spirituality that I had abandoned while I was married because either I was too busy or I was too afraid to trigger my husband because I was a very spiritual child. I was a very spiritual teenager. I wasn't a normal teenager. I didn't do things with other teenagers. Mm-hmm. I mostly read books and and investigated the occult and spirituality and visited alternative forms of spiritual centers like Kardec, Kardecism. Um I even visited some Rosicrucian centers. I Read a lot of books on spirituality. Um, I don't know if you know the work of Alan Kardec, it's very beautiful. You'll probably love it.
0: I, I matter of fact, that's new to me, and uh, that's part of the reason I do these programs because I learned so much about other philosophies that are out there. You know, I mean, I've studied quite a number of them myself, uh, but they're probably more of the mainstream, maybe uh, six or eight or ten of them. Uh, mainstream, at least as far as as uh, most people uh, uh, might might know of them. But I'm always curious about some of the others that are lesser lesser known that have He was been... a
1: French doctor. Yeah. And he did a lot of beautiful work with... It's almost like uh, Casey, you know? He yeah. would put them under hypnosis and all this incredible amount of information that was revealed to him. It's right really extraordinary and there's a lot of um, spiritists it's called spiritists in Brazil and um, but anyway just so I can finish that story I started doing that prayer I felt called to do that prayer it's a three page long I, I had to call home and my mother dictated it to me and I wrote on a piece of paper handwritten and I had like three pages and I put my bedside table and every morning before getting my feet on the floor this is the guidance I got Do not put your feet on the ground before you say this prayer. Mm -hmm. And before you go to sleep, when you lift your feet off and put it on the bed, you do that prayer. And I did that for weeks, but I did it with such depth of feeling. Every word was, and this this is how prayer should be done. You have to feel those words. You have to connect to what you're saying. And I started to have visions and dreams, and and Kuan Yin started to appear to me, this entity which is like Mother Mary of the Asians, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know, she's the the mother of compassion, the goddess mm-hmm. of compassion. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard of her. I, of all the things I had studied as a teenager and a young adult, I never came across much Buddhism or anything. It was, it was esoteric. Western mysticism, spirituality, but nothing Buddhist, and I was grateful because if I had known, I would think it was my imagination creating that stuff. But I had no idea who's this geisha woman that's showing up in my dreams, and I'm seeing her through the door, the glass door, or you know, she was all around me. And at the time, my I had a nanny, four kids. And she was clairvoyant. This nanny said to me, the Buddha lady is with you. And I said, the Buddha lady? Who's the Buddha? <laughs> you know, it was just an extraordinary journey, you know. Mm. Um, it's yeah. a very long story. So I'm I'm going to cut it a little short. So <laughs> that's when everything unfolded, you know. And it, she I felt guided along the way to take USM, as a continued education master's program in spiritual psychology, and then everything unfolded. You know, the I woke up one day, the, one morning with the name Stargate Alliance in my mouth like a burp. I, I had no dream, nothing. So things like that kept happening. You know.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I remember my mother asking me uh, the question probably when I was in my 30s, early 40s. Uh, if I had ever had any spiritual or supernatural experiences, and I said, "Well, if I have, I wasn't aware they were supernatural. They were just commonplace. They, you know, they was normal in that respect. I never even thought too much about that. And that's kind of the way I look at Jesus and his miracles and the things that he did and the way that he treated. People. It was just the way he was. He didn't ever thought of himself and what he was doing as unusual or strange." and and we need to take that same tact that uh that yeah we can we can accomplish a lot of things if we just put our our intention into it one of my intentions is to let you our listeners know uh that we are talking right now with uh, a beautiful woman who's got a beautiful voice and some great music that you want to listen to kalyani is uh, her name and uh uh, your website uh, give us the uh, give us the website where we can find out more information about you uh,
1: kalyani.com or kalyan.com
0: how, how simple is that folks k a l i y a n i .com and this is tell me your story I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, I I find uh, this conversation fascinating because uh, being born and raised in the Western Rite of the Catholic Church, my first marriage at the age of 23 was to a woman whose family um, was Byzantine Rite of the Catholic Church, still under the Pope. A lot of people think it's Orthodox, and it is not. And one of the things uh, that I found so fascinating uh, that I—it's—it's it's, uh, my mother did something for me that I will always be grateful for. I was sixteen, I was a paper boy delivering the morning Sunday paper. I would come home exhausted because I had a hundred customers, and I'd get back into bed, and she'd come in at nine o'clock and say, "Okay, it's time to get dressed and get ready to go to mass." And one <laughs> morning I said. I I really don't want to go. And she said, okay. And it was probably in my mid late twenties when I finally asked her why she did that. And she said, I didn't want you to push away from the Catholic church, which I didn't do, but I am not considered a practicing Catholic. I don't attend masses, but there are attributes of the church that I love, it's the ritual, the ceremony and traditions. Now, let's talk a little bit about that. Not so much from the Catholic perspective, but from the human perspective. It seems as though we, as human beings, regardless of our philosophy, we've kind of lost rituals and traditions and ceremonies. And I'm not talking about celebrating Fourth of July with with hamburgers and hot dogs and beer and fireworks. I'm talking about sacred ceremonies. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Can you share with us? And maybe uh, there's some of your music that speaks to that.
1: Yeah. Well, this is really close to my heart because I am a focalizer of sacred ceremonies. I have, I do three times a year. I did take a break last year and um but for, since 2012 13 i've been holding uh, solstice ceremonies um and equinoxes and also i am very fond of the irish celtic ancient philosophies oh yes <laughs> so yeah so my ceremonies in nature i have a garden that's very beautiful i've been really blessed with it and it's called the sacred garden i have a plaque there before you walk through this beautiful tibetan statue of Kuan Yin, and there's it's a tiered garden there's a gazebo and there's flowers everywhere, there's vegetables, there's fruit trees. So I I bring a community of friends together and, you know, we do ceremony with water, with incense, with drums, with chanting, singing together, praying together and honoring the earth. There's a beautiful Chinook prayer. I blend Celtic Native and American Native Um Customs, you know, and uh, we do ceremonies with water and flower petals, and we set intentions and wishes, and we send it and put it in my pond. We we light fires and burn our wishes in there, or the things we want to let go. So we celebrate the beauty of nature and we honor it. And this Chinook prayer is extraordinary. It's about the wonder of this planet and the beauty and power that it holds. And I usually close the ceremony with that. And um, and I also have um, a ceremony I do more on what I call the Phoenix Temple, which is in this area here where I'm sitting. And it's usually mostly women. I've done co-eds as well, but it's um, embodiment practices for women, because you see, religiously for the last six to eight thousand years, women have been extricated from power positions within the institutionalized spirituality. So women have been made really small and not enough, not good enough. And I am an advocate for helping them heal it. And you know, I was trained, um, very old trained by a beautiful program created by Ariel Spilsbury. Um, And I I did this program for two consecutive years, not consecutive, but I took a 13 months and then another 13 months. It's called the 13 Moon Mystery School. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to focalize, to be a focalizer, a facilitator for people to... To embodiment practices in a sense you know to embody the divine within to accept that you are that to take the blocks and the programs away so that you can be in touch with with the possibility that that is true that it's not just you know maybe and to take you deep enough through these practices until you really feel you've touched that in you and now you have that confidence You know, um, because it was many, many years on a collective feminine level of being put down, you know, and you, you know, I, I call it, you know, Ariel calls it reclaiming your authority. And I love that your divine authority. So it's a reclamation of your divine authority for women, especially extremely important because that divine authority was extricated by them systematically, historically, through institutionalized religion.
0: You know, it's, it's kind of interesting, too, to think about. Uh, I was born and raised into a family of eight. I had four sisters and one brother and uh, and a mother and father. And uh, I didn't have a problem with that. Yeah, as siblings, yeah, sure, we'd have our, our little disagreements and our squabbles and so forth. But, boy, we had a lot of fun, too. We really did. And one of the things that I find so interesting, and and personally, from my perspective, my observation in the New Testament, following Jesus' crucifixion, internment in the tomb, and then resurrection. The first person to see him and know who he was, was Mary Magdalene whereas the group of guys the apostles when they came across him didn't recognize him and basically they were so grief stricken they were oh we're looking for the nearest pub so we can we can we can toast our our master our, our teacher you know and the one thing i loved about the passage in um in the new testament where mary did see him and recognize him. And she reached out to touch him. And he and and I i say this uh tongue in cheek. He says, No, 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 don't don't touch. The paint's not dry yet. Just hang on. And but it's like they left that in. And I sit here and I'm going, you idiots, if you're trying to eliminate any kind of feminine uh uh element from the christ and his and these events that took place you should never have left that in there because that tells me that and i look at mary magdalene as a great representative of women at large they know and men can get in touch with that same knowing, but it takes setting aside one's pride, especially pride. Can you share with us a little bit about that in, in, in terms of maybe what you've experienced through these programs that you were talking about and the the aspect of, uh, uh, how should I put this, regaining your power, your personal power,
1: um what the process for, for me was
0: yeah what what was the process for you in finally realizing hey uh i have a voice i'm going to use it uh, you know it's it's almost along the lines of uh, a a couple of years ago the me too movement you know don't don't count me out do not put me aside i am part of this civilization you better start listening. And this was not an attempt to usurp or take over. This was an attempt to share in the creation of the civilization, in the the sustaining of the civilization. Because quite honestly, without you, women, none of us guys would even be here.
1: Yeah, we cook you guys in my in our ovens. I cooked three of you guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's beautiful.
1: I have a girl and three boys, yeah um, well uh, it's a it's a step by step, and you know uh, I think it takes um healing and understanding your trauma, and I think part of that was achieved with a program like USM, which I highly recommend, University of Santa Monica. And they now have a worldwide online program anybody can take from anywhere in the world. And it's transforming. I think that was the first step for me um, because I had been molested as a child. And I remember um, I suffered so much. I had a fall from grace at age eight. And nobody could make me speak. And I stopped going to school. And my mother tried to put me with therapists and all that. And I, I just couldn't talk. I couldn't. There was so much shame. And because I was so spiritual and I prayed so much. And and because there was written all over the walls because of television and what my mother wouldn't let us see. That sexuality is evil. Mm. That's the understanding of child. Yeah. So. When I associated what had happened to me, I thought God would never want me. And instead of feeling victimized by them, I, I thought I had to, I had to, something was wrong with me because this is how we process uh, trauma. We think there's something wrong when we are very little. We don't blame others. We we, we internalize the, the guilt and the shame. So I realized that in my thirties, after my divorce, like my late thirties, I I was about to start the USM program. And I had filled out this application that was very painful because you you've to talk about all the details. And I felt my heart erase. And I said, I have to write a book about my experiences so that I can overcome it. But I couldn't, you know, I put a sketch, I wrote eight pages, 12 pages. And then when it got to that episode, I couldn't write. My words wouldn't come. I And I realized that I would go into a little bit of a panic. And I was a grown woman with children, but I still had the interpretation of a child. In some level, that was buried in my subconscious mind. And with USM's first year, the processes that we do that, because it's a totally experiential thing. We are constantly doing therapy in trios and applying the the um practices and um you know of spiritual psychology uh during those processes and um, I was able to do a twenty one day process with my little girl, and I was able to I was able to become that angel to her. I actually appeared to myself as a child talking to me when I was feeling completely alone and scared and um, feeling those feelings, you know, when I had been repeatedly molested. So I, I think until you can reinterpret, and USM calls it reframing your reality, And you understand it from the correct perspective. And it is released, you know? Everything is an experience we learn from. It is the shame, the fear, the guilt that destroys our spirit. So don't ever allow guilt, shame, if I could say, guilt, shame, or fear to ever be a hindrance. Because that is the only thing that will hinder your gifts and and the expression of your true authentic whole self you know with mm-hmm. all that you came to give and to be and to bring and those things have to be um done and i feel like healing on the subconscious level the trauma and the fears and the shames and um, is is absolutely essential and uh, and it's very empowering I think soon after that you know there's others, other initiations you know like going through the searching room mystery school was yeah when I went to the Mysterium but for the first time having a very tough teacher like Ariel yeah and but you you are feeling the calling you 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 have that conflict. Well, I want to step and embody the divine, my divine self. I want to walk in the world like this. Some of us are, you know, ready. And some of us have to examine certain things, how we operate and fix it and go like, I can't embody my divine. If I'll continue to gossip or if I'll continue uh, to be passive aggressive or, you know, you're still going to be divine, but you're not going to be feeling it so strong, let's say. That's my interpretation. You're going to be in and out of it. I'm kind of divine, you know, but but there's stuff that we need to work, work through the shadow, right? Mm. So the more we mm-hmm. work with our shadow and we let go of guilt and shame and we learn to walk the walk with our heads held high, knowing the integrity we walk with is is solid is solid diamond it's unshakable uncompromisable uncorruptible then you feel more and more that divine presence within you it's the character they hold here how do you walk your life how do you deal with people how what how do you choose to go day by day what choices do you make every moment what thought forms are you having mhm when you're sad or when you're happy doesn't matter what is your currency what is your vibrational frequency right it's very fashionable but we are vibrational frequency beings i just had another interview with uh, suzanne um from you unique she's adorable she's such an angel and it, it, in the end, it was this conversation, too. What can you say to people? It's like, remember and believe me, you are pure frequency vibration. Don't let your mind be so distracted. Be the master of your horse. Mm-hmm. If you have a wild stallion going everywhere, you know, yeah, kicking the walls, you're not going to be able to manifest in an orderly manner. Be mindful, like at the as the Buddhist masters say, be mindful. Mind your thoughts. And what are you feeling? How do you how do you carry your heart in relationship to people? Are you able to forgive them and let go? Work on that, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: We are talking with Kalyani, kalyani.com. dot com. We will be linked to that website and you're listening to Tell Me Your Story
3: recognition. We're all part of the system. We're all one as it were. Oh, my God, look at that picture
2: over there. This is Earth coming up. Wow.
0: Richard Dugan, your host, and I wish to thank you folks for uh, tuning in to the program. Uh, this is a program that is designed uh with uh, you folks in mind, and uh we encourage you to participate in uh the work that we are doing here. Uh we are uh talking with uh, Kalyani, who is um a beautiful musician, singer, if you will. Uh she is a visionary. What is the legacy that you want to leave, not just your children, but others who may be listening to this or watching this program, this conversation, or just the people who may come to hear you sing uh, or the lectures? I, I would assume that you give talks from time to time as well on various subjects, as we've talked about here on the program so what what is the legacy that you want to um, fundamentally i guess I guess have a foundation where you can leave it for people?
1: Uh, you know, I'm a little bit of a jack of all trades, but everything I do, as I say, you know, some people have over the years called me a producer or they just want to call me a singer. Others call me a healer. Others call me a psychologist. And I say I'm a spiritually inspired visionary because I don't want to label. Labels limit what you do. And if if everything I touch is created from a sense of connection with the divine and is in service to healing people, what I want to leave as a legacy is that every time somebody mentions my name after I'm gone, they will say, well, I'm so grateful for the inspiration she gave me to believe in myself, to believe in my divinity or to believe that I am worthy or that the help she gave me in healing this aspect of me, either through film or music, you know, or conversations or ceremonies or what I want to leave for people is that they're not alone and that they're beautiful. They're worthy." It's just sometimes a little crooked road to get there. And uh, I love, I love humanity. I love people and, and I'm very compassionate. And I, all I want to leave behind is that they keep theme my love.
0: Well, I will tell you that through this program, which I don't know how long it's going to be up on the internet, but as long as it's there, people will hear your voice and your music And I hope they are inspired to find and live out their life's purpose for themselves as well as for humanity. And uh, we are most appreciative of you giving us so much time here on the program again uh, to to talk with us about a lot of these different subjects that. I think are important. We, I've, I keep hearing this phrase that, uh, you know, with, with everything that's going on in the last few years, you know, we're starting to have the conversations we've been needing to have for a long, long time. And I, I that must be true. I would say that, yeah, we're having those conversations and let's keep having them, but it's not enough to have the conversation. If you're not listening, if you're not really really listening and if you are passing judgment then you're not listening you're not listening to the other person and where they're coming from i do find it fascinating uh kalyani when i see these television programs and movies of the conflicts that are going on and i always use the example of uh, the the uh comic strip uh movie of a batman versus superman and I watched that movie and I think it was like an hour and a half, two hours long it had something to do with one of their mothers and they started fighting. I don't know if they were doing the dozens on their moms or what, but anyway, and it wasn't until the last 15 minutes of the program, when they finally stopped and they started talking to each other and realizing, Oh, Oh, that's what you meant or what have you, or, Oh, you, Oh, you didn't say that. You said, oh, and, and I always, always joke saying, you know, if they had conversed about this at the beginning of the movie, A, would have been a very short movie. B, no one would have gone to have seen it and would have made no money and it would have and so forth. But there wouldn't have been all this fighting. No. And I see this time and time again, where at the end of an episode where there's all that conflict, if they had just stopped and listened but again that doesn't draw people in Mm -hmm. that's true you know it's very very strange i want to thank you again for joining us i do have three final questions that i would like to ask you that i ask all of my guests at the end of uh, the program But first, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays Uh, at 7 a.m., 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, Amazon Music, lots of other locations all across the Internet. I'm sure you can find us. And uh, we are also, as I mentioned, on YouTube, and I'm sure you're going to really enjoy watching these uh, videos of uh, Kalyani and her music as you listen to her sing and uh, and uh, watch the beautiful, beautiful scenery and so forth of these videos. We hope that you will do just that. We'll hope you if you don't subscribe, maybe you can at least click the notification so that when a new conversation is posted, you'll be notified and you can listen to that as well. We also ask that if you can support us financially, we would be gratefully appreciative of that. Uh, we have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. And when you go there and you want to support us financially, they're going to ask what email address they that you want to send this to. And you'll put in richard at richarddugan.com. Very, very simple. Richard at richarddugan.com. Also, spend some time going within. And listening to that still small voice, uh, as often happens, Kalyani, I get to this point at the end of the program, and I go, "We never got there. We never talked about intuition. We never talked about the still small voice in that quiet place." Well, doggone it, we'll have to reserve that for our next get together. Number four, how about that?
1: Yes, I am. Sign me up. You, okay? One of my favorite podcasters, I have to say
0: well thank you very much and uh so uh, we also and again this is all during the decade of perfect vision the 2020 so spend that time as one of my guests said uh, kalyani even if you just take one minute one minute okay 60 seconds you can spare that and who knows maybe it'll grow from there with all of that being said uh, we are going to uh, ask those three final questions and uh I know that you have a given name, but you go by the name you have chosen, Kalyani, or that you were given. So I will ask it from that perspective. Who is Kalyani? Oh, my God. That's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Kalyani, Kalyani. Ultimately is love. (laughs)
0: What, yeah, what, is your, what is your life's purpose?
1: My life's purpose is to inspire myself and others, transmute, you know, and
0: mm.
1: yeah, live in beauty and create beauty. I don't know.
0: And finally, what was your best day?
1: Oh my goodness! That's a hard one. I've had so many incredible things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> First thing that comes to mind.
1: I. I think it was seeing my daughter in the crib mm. after I gave birth. And just couldn't take my eyes out of her. I was hypnotized with a marvel.
0: (laughs) That's beautiful. Well, again, I thank you so much for this time and uh, this opportunity to learn more about you. And yes, we'll have you back again to talk about uh, that inner life that we all need to cultivate. So we'll definitely have you back.
1: Yes, I'd love that.
0: And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, cast, love Talal, Jeanette, I am listening, and dad, be happy.